peace. We hear that word and we envision something without conflict. Peace involves that, but there's so much more. Peace is a restored state of wholeness. The birth of Jesus announces the arrival of peace and the death of Jesus creates peace with God. And when the angels proclaim peace on earth, the shepherds heard what our hearts long to hear that God is indeed restoring all of it to his original and glorious purposes. So may we experience that kind of peace. It's an invitation for every person and it's here now because Jesus is here now. This is peace. Welcome to Christmas. Okay, we're looking at peace today. Anybody in need of some peace? Uh, Anybody praying for peace? As we look at our world, as we look at our communities, look at our own heart, uh, let's explore together what this might mean for us as we understand this announcement of the angels uh, to the shepherds. But one thing I want to point out is this. These were no ordinary shepherds. And you might know this already, you might have heard this, this is kind of a yearly reminder that these shepherds were likely very special shepherds because you weren't technically allowed to have sheep near or in or by the city around Jerusalem. So normally you'd find the flocks of sheep uh, cared for in the wilderness, in the Judean wilderness. But these sheep were in close proximity to Jerusalem which suggests something, suggests that this flock was a special flock for the temple. These sheep were being raised for temple sacrifices, which means that these shepherds were very special shepherds because they had special training. They weren't just leading the sheep around and making sure they were fed and and, uh, cared for and protected. These shepherds had to identify clearly unblemished lambs. That's what their job was, to be able to identify the unblemished lambs that could then be used in the temple sacrifices. So just think about that for a minute. This is the way William Barclay kind of sums it up. He says this, it is a lovely thought that the shepherds who looked after the temple lambs were the first to see the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It's really significant, isn't it? That these shepherds weren't just random dudes (laughs) hanging out in the Judean wilderness, uh, smelly and disheveled and having a cigarette break. Um, They weren't just out there. They were actually highly trained shepherds, very special shepherds, taking care of very special sheep. And so they were in a position to identify the Lamb of God (laughs) that takes away the sin of the world. I think that's just a beautiful part of the story that we might gloss over. It's an important thought because not only do we see uh, how God has very intentionally revealed himself to these shepherds, but it's an important thought because it links the cradle and the cross. And I'm so thankful every year for Christine uh, doing the decorations. And one of the things that she intentionally does is connect the cradle to the cross. And here we have it in our story today. This idea of the cradle and the cross are very intricately woven together, even in the early parts of this story. So this also informs our understanding of peace. So hold on to that thought as we go through it. 
Well, the announcement to the angels was what? In the old King James Version, might be familiar to many of us, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. And by men, we mean everyone, right? Uh, peace, it was the announcement of peace, which is consistent with what the prophets foretold about the Messiah. Prophet Isaiah said, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, right? And so understanding Jesus and the Prince of Peace is to understand it's one and the same person. This is the Messiah. This is the promise. And now this has been announced by the angels to these special shepherds, peace has arrived. But here's my question for today that I want us to wrestle with. What kind of peace did Jesus bring? Because if you look around the world, <laughs> we are not at peace. What kind of peace did Jesus bring? In the Bible, there's two basic words used for peace. In the Old Testament, the word, anybody know? You know what it is? Shalom. And shalom means more than just peace and quiet. If you have young children in the house, your quest for peace is locking yourself in the bathroom for five minutes and hopefully keeping them away, right? Some of you are saying, yes. We have to do that with our dog now who follows us around everywhere. Berkeley, stay out. I need some peace. Peace is sometimes the absence of noise or chaos. But shalom is much more than that. Shalom indicates wholeness being put together in a special way. Shalom peace is a very active peace. It's just a, not just a passive absence of noise and chaos. It's actively being knit together, being formed together, being mended. That's shalom. Shalom comes up in the Old Testament in lots of surprising ways. Uh, when the walls of Jerusalem are rebuilt, when they're knit back together, that's shalom. That's the putting back together of something that was broken right? If, if I, according to Old Testament times, if I came and I damaged something that was yours, but then I came to you and I paid you for it, that's shalom. Because what I'm doing is I'm making you whole, <laughs> right? And so shalom has this justice element to it as well. And so shalom is much bigger than just the absence of noise. And that's what we find in the Old Testament. Well, in the New Testament, the word that's picked up by the authors of the New Testament is Irene, which we get the, the name Irene from, right? Also in Greek, it was a Greek goddess, Irene, or Irene, however you want to pronounce it. I'll leave that to you. Um, and in its, in its um, simplicity, it really means serenity. Serenity now, if you're a Seinfeld fan watching that. Um, so uh, this word in Greek New Testament means serenity, but it means also much more than that. And what we find with the New Testament authors is when they use that word, what they're thinking of is actually shalom. <laughs> they don't have another word for it, so they use the Greek word, irene, and it really, what they're talking about is this wholeness, being knit together, being put together, being mended. And so keep that in mind as we go, because there's approximately 90 occurrences in the Greek New Testament of this word, and in almost every instance, it's used in the exact same way that the Old Testament authors used shalom. So that's what we're talking about when we talk about peace. But context is everything. Never mind the words and word studies. That gets a little bit drab and boring. What's the context? What do we discover about peace? 
I want to share with you this morning that peace occurs in at least three different ways. Now, if you were part of the Wednesday night um, prayer gathering that gathered here, you would have found out that peace occurs in five different ways. But this is the short version, okay, just for Sunday morning. So three different ways that we find peace operating in the Bible. First of all, international peace. That is the absence of conflict between nations. I love in Micah 4, this description of peace. You might be familiar with it. It says this, They will beat their swords into plows and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Anybody have that hope in their heart? Nor will they train for war anymore. Can you imagine what we could do if we didn't have to spend all the time and money and energy training for war? nor will they train for war anymore. What a great promise. What a great vision of peace. But we still have wars. (laughs) And so what peace did Jesus bring? In fact, the Bible suggests that there might be, in fact, an escalation of wars as we approach the end. (laughs) So what kind of peace then did Jesus bring? Well, there's another kind of peace we find in the Bible, not just international peace, but interpersonal peace. This is the absence of conflict between people. And I love the vision for this in Romans chapter 12 because it's very, very practical. Paul says this in Romans 12. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. I like that he has that disclaimer at the beginning, right? He doesn't just jump to live at peace with everyone. He actually gives this disclaimer. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, Live at peace with everyone. But here's the reality. We still have conflict, don't we? With one another. We have conflict with our neighbors, with our co-workers. We have conflict within our families. Anybody dealing with that right now? Don't stick up your hand. I'm just appealing to your heart. We're we're dealing with it. Some of us have conflict with our condo management board. Well, we won't get into that right now. And snow removal and the big pile. And anyway, so we have conflict. So what kind of peace did Jesus bring? In fact, Jesus says something really, really strange in Matthew. He says this, Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. It's like, what? But the angel said, (laughs) but Jesus says, Do not suppose I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, a man's enemies will be the members of his own household. What kind of peace then did Jesus bring? What are the announcement of the angel all about if Jesus clearly states that he's actually bringing a sword? Now, there's a lot to that passage, and I invite you to explore it together, but one of the things that Jesus is saying is that the decision to follow after me will actually cause conflict. Some of you know that in your own families, in your own households. I can remember when in high school, and uh, I was a school president, and at the very end through a series of events, I decided that I was going to follow Jesus with my whole heart, and it surprised a whole lot of people. There's still people that are shocked to find out that I'm a pastor, and uh, when they find that out on Facebook, sometimes they unfollow me, but that's okay. But it was kind of a shock, right? And I lost friends. And some of you have lost friends and family and connections because you have decided to follow Jesus. That's the reality that Jesus is speaking about. So 
what does Jesus mean when, or what do the angels mean when they announce that Jesus is bringing peace if we still have conflict interpersonally? Okay, a third way that peace is operating in the New Testament and in our world is this, individual peace. Individual peace is the absence of conflict within our own heart. Sometimes we talk about anxiety or worry. Anybody feel anxious anytime at all for anything? Yeah, we do, don't we? Philippians 4 verse 6 says this though, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So you see what we're doing here? The Bible casts a vision for us of peace, whether it's international or interpersonal or individual peace, but we operate in the reality of the world, which is broken. And so we still worry, don't we? We still worry because life is unpredictable and time is unrelenting and death is unavoidable. And so we carry these burdens and we worry. Triona, our eldest daughter, was over in uh, Belgium earlier in the year. She went over for the Formula One race. Crazy girl. Her and her best friend Rachel decided they were going to watch Max Verstappen race at Spa in Belgium. And so that's what they did. They went over. And I was trying to follow her carefully through texts and email and all those kind of things. And then one day, because of the time change, early in the morning, I got this text from her. Dad, I've got no ride home from the track. The buses aren't running. Taxis aren't running. My phone's about to die. What do I do? (laughs) What do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? Don't send me that text. Send me the text later saying, wow, we had some trouble, but we sorted it out. And so then I'm back and forth with her. But the first thing I said, I woke Christine up and I said, we need to pray. (laughs) We need to pray. That's all we could do, right? Um, That's probably the best thing we could do is pray. And so we kept getting these texts back and I was worrying about her phone dying. And then I got this text saying, we found a man at a gas station. He's giving us a ride. Some random guy at a gas station, he drives a Mercedes. That's not helping me at all. I'm surprised she got into the Mercedes, if you know the whole Formula One thing. But anyway, turns out, cut a long story short, turns out they were safe. The guy was actually an off-duty Uber driver or Lyft driver. They plugged their phones in and he took them to the train station. They got to their hotel. But I'll be honest, I worried, right? So this is what we have. The reality of our world is we have this vision of peace, which is real and will be realized when the kingdom is realized upon the return of Jesus. But we also operate in a broken world where we still struggle to find it. It doesn't mean we shouldn't work toward it. It doesn't mean we shouldn't long for it and hope for it and pray for it. But that's the reality in which we live. So did Jesus bring peace And what kind of peace did he bring? I would suggest this. Fundamentally, the kind of peace that Jesus secured beyond a shadow of a doubt was peace with God. That's the fundamental principle that we're operating under according to our faith. There's lots of ways that the world around us will seek peace. Um, Relief from their anxiety, you know, cessation of war, all those kind of things. There's lots of ways to seek peace. But as followers of Jesus, the foundation of our peace is that Jesus has secured peace with God for us. 
That's the biblical understanding. And Romans chapter 5 sums it up like this. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Not a future vision now. We have it. That's the one form of peace that we can hold on to with full assurance. Because of Jesus, we have peace with God. So biblical peace isn't just the absence of conflict, right? It's about mending these broken pieces in order to make something whole. And the fracturing of humanity's relationship, which was seen in the garden, you remember the story at the beginning of the Bible, and the first Adam kind of messed it up for all of us? Actually, don't blame Adam. We're all in Adam, right? We all make that same mistake. Um, But that's the fracturing of the relationship with God, with one another, with uh, the environment around us. But that relationship has been mended and made whole. How? Through the second Adam, who is Jesus. That's the kind of peace that we have. Well, how did Jesus do this? Colossians chapter 1 makes it really clear. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Jesus. Think about that for a moment. Whenever, when someone tells you Jesus was just a man, or he was just a prophet, or just a good teacher, Colossians says this, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Jesus, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. That's how Jesus made peace for us, by giving his life, by shedding his blood. That's why the shepherds were important in the story. They knew how to identify the pure, perfect Lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world and make peace with God through the sacrifice. So this is the peace that's the necessary prerequisite to any other peace that we might seek. So we might go to self-help books. We might go to counseling, which is great. We might go to lots of different things. But if we're not operating from this foundation of peace with God through Jesus Christ, then we're not going to experience lasting peace. And that's my invitation to each and every one of us this morning. It's this piece that's the necessary prerequisite for calming our anxiety, for mending our relationships, and I would even say for ending our wars permanently is to focus on Jesus. I've shared this illustration before, but I'll share it again because I like it and I get to choose the illustrations I share. So... Um, I spent some time in England, as some of you know. I did my undergraduate in Scotland, and then I was working with churches in England for about eight months. And uh, while we're down there, one of the things I love to do is walk through the fields that had sheep in them. And some of you have done that, right? you got to make sure you close the gate behind you, but you can walk through these fields, and they're beautiful. They're pastoral, right? They're very green, lush, and gentle. There's something peaceful about the whole thing. I was not necessarily part of that piece because I was like 1920. I was not the mature adult that I am now. And I wanted to see how close I could get to the sheep, right? That's a natural thing you'd want to do. And so I would kind of chase them sometimes. And I'm sure the shepherd farmer did not appreciate that at all. But I could never really get close to them. They would run away or they'd scatter and they'd be all scattered all over the the field. But then one day I watched as the shepherd farmer came out, and he made this weird call that I can't replicate. And the sheep suddenly raised their heads and turned and looked at them. Why? 
because the sheep knew the shepherd's voice. And what do they do next? What do they do? They all ran to the shepherd. Well, he had food, so there was a reason to run, right? But they all ran to the shepherd, and I got this sudden picture in my mind of what it means to have peace as we follow after Jesus, because as the sheep move toward the shepherd, what happened to them? They also move closer to one another. And that's a picture of peace I think we, we don't think about too much. This idea of peace is God forming us together in unity for a purpose. That's what I love about the, uh, the mission projects that our mission committee and others invite us into. Because we find a common enemy. <laughs> the common enemy might be hunger. And we rally against it, regardless of where we came from, our differences or our abilities or whatever. We, we come together and there's a peace in being knit together and being mended together in order to face a particular challenge or particular cause. In this case, Jesus is our peace. He's the one that invites us to run to him so that we are drawn together. And in that way, we experience peace. Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So when we pray for peace, and I hope we are, when we pray for peace, let us first pray that people might experience peace with God. Let's, let's pray that for the situation in Israel with Hamas. Let's pray it for Ukraine and Russia. Let's pray it for every troubled spot that you find around the world. Let's pray it for our neighbors. Let's pray it for our families. Let's pray it for our church that first and foremost, our peace would be found with God through Jesus Christ our Lord, because that's our task. That's our common goal as followers of Jesus within his church.